Like, for me, I didn't even know that women couldn't get their own line of credit until the 70s, and I just thought that was fucking insane. So I do think that men have had a better opportunity, and they also know more about money, and, like, it's been a male-dominated field for a really long time. So I think it's time for, you know, women to, you know, take this back and get their own fucking credit, and yeah. Hi friends, welcome back to Reasonably Dramatic. This is Alyssa. And sadly, Casey is not here this week because she is sick. So I'll be flying solo this week along with Brooks, actually, because he's here uh, wanting to play. So this should be fairly interesting. I'm excited and nervous all at the same time, but let's get into it. I'm not going to provide any updates this week just because I feel like that would be weird because I won't have a response. I'll be like, Casey, guess what happened? And it's literally just me sitting here. So we're going to jump straight into our topic and we're going to be talking about finances this week. This is going to be like a new era of our podcast where we actually talk about finances and shit that's important in our lives and that we need to know. This month with finance, we're going to cover basically like a foundational knowledge of our history of finances, the history of finances, and then kind of a just like a foundational knowledge of what we know and then what we're going to be diving into later on. So for me, my history with finance has always been minute. So I've always seen a living paycheck to paycheck kind of life. I've always been stressed about money ever since I was a kid. I remember like never wanting to ask my parents for money for anything or always knowing that I had to work really hard to get the money that we got and even then knowing that it didn't go a long way. So, I mean, for those of y'all who don't know, my, my mom had me at a very young age, so she was still in high school and I think I saw her at the age where she was still like working towards her career. So I feel like for some families too, it's a little bit different where, I mean, some people have their kids later on in life and they're more financially established and also more established in their careers. And that's just not where my mom was when I was growing up yet. But now she has, I mean, she's, she's kind of built her way up and it's really amazing to see actually from when I was a kid to where she is now. I've always just seen, until fairly recently, the past, I would say, like, five years, a living paycheck-to-paycheck kind of life. And that's kind of how, like, where I'm at right now still, too, where I'm still in that mindset, but trying to get out of that mindset. But also, I still feel like I live in a scarcity mindset. So that's, that's what I've always been in. That's what I feel like I'm still in, where I've always been very fearful about not having money or learning how to be on a budget and then when I don't stick to that budget sometimes it gets a little scary and stressful which is where I'm at now and I think that's also kind of the point of our podcast talking about finances trying to get out of that scarcity mindset and trying to gain better control of our finances and we want to help everybody else along the way. I also wanted to jump into some general history about finance because I feel like in general men have had a head start with finances and more specifically white men and that's not me hating on white men even though 
I do that like 90% of the time, but it's, it's really true. Like if you look at the history, women were literally not allowed to have their own line of credit until the 70s. So I'm going to go through a little bit of the history of like different acts that were made and, you know, different things about credit opportunities and even like homeowning like that affects, you know, credit and wealth and the racial wealth gap and the gender pay gap and all of that stuff. So kind of some history I have right now in front of me, which we'll post later, I got most of this information from Investopedia. And this kind of goes over homeowners history and loans and also credit history. So in the 30s, the Homeowners Loan Corporation also known as HOLC, created maps that were redlining communities. And basically redlining was when they marked racial and ethnic minority neighborhoods in red and they would label these neighborhoods as hazardous to lenders. So this really greatly contributed to the racial wealth gap that we still see today. In 1948, the Supreme Court deemed that racially restrictive deed covenants were unenforceable. And then in 1968, the Fair Housing Act, or FHA, was enacted. This act protects people from discrimination when they rent or buy a home or when they want to get a mortgage, when they're seeking housing assistance, or when they're engaging in other housing-related activities. In 1974, Congress passed the Equal Opportunity Act, also known as the ECOA, And then in 1977, the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA, was enacted to prevent redlining and also to encourage banks and savings associations to help meet the credit needs of all communities. I'll go over what each of those things that I just talked about means. So the Fair Housing Act of 1968. This law protects people from discrimination when they rent or buy a home, when they get a mortgage, anything around like housing-related activities. It forbids discrimination based on race, color, national origin, religion, sex, including gender, gender identity, and sexual orientation, familial status, or disability during any part of a residential real estate transaction. Then in... 1974, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was passed. So even though the Equal Pay Act was passed in 1963, which required men and women to be paid equally, it wasn't until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act that was passed in 1974 that women were able to get their own credit cards in their own name without their husbands. So before that, women literally could not have their own line of credit and they couldn't have their own credit cards. It had to be through like their husband or a male. The Equal Credit Opportunity Act makes it illegal for creditors to discriminate based on race, color, religion, national origin, sex, marital status, age, or because of a person's income. So basically, like, the creditors, they can ask for this information, but they can't deny you credit or establish the terms of your credit based on these things. Then, in 1977, the Community Reinvestment Act was passed. So basically, this was passed because even with the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, redlining was still continuing to happen and this continued to affect low to moderate income neighborhoods also known as LMIs. 
And basically, this made it illegal for people to redline. However, redlining still affects neighborhoods today. So when you look at like different cities, especially like big metropolitan cities or even smaller cities, I guess, too, you can still see like where this redlining happens. So like, for example, like I'm from Lubbock and when you look, the east side would be known as an LMI. And you can tell that, like, the east side of Lubbock versus the west side of Lubbock, you could tell that that's, like, where the, all of the redlining happened. Same thing, like, here in Dallas. You can tell, like, Oak Cliff and, like, South Dallas and stuff. Those are known as, like, low-income and minority neighborhoods. And that is all literally because of redlining. And all of these acts were supposed to be passed to help restrict you know discrimination but even still like to this day you'll see discrimination happening in housing and all of that stuff so obviously even though it's illegal it's not stopping it so that was kind of just a general history knowledge that I wanted to talk about because like for me I didn't even know that women couldn't get their own line of credit until the 70s and I just thought that was fucking insane so I do think that men have had a better opportunity and they also know more about money and like it's been a male dominated field for a really long time so I think it's time for you know women to you know take this back and get their own fucking credit and yeah so now that we've had some history and there's more to it also I'll I'll post the links and we'll post those on our stories so y'all can kind of do some more of y'all's own deep dives but I just wanted to kind of give an overview because I just I thought all of this was kind of like crazy. I'll go over kind of what Casey and I have either been learning or some steps that we've taken ourselves. She sent me a list of notes and I think I'm going to go ahead and start with hers because hers really starts at the mindset around money. And for me, I think I never realized to start with like your mindset around money. So when I've always been on my financial journey, which literally started like a year ago, maybe. (laughs) I've always been like, okay, what steps do I need to take to better my finances? Like, what do I need to do? I need like a list. I need like a how-to. But I never really thought to change my mindset. And Casey talks about how if you don't change your mindset, you're always going to be stuck in that mindset. So you have to heal that relationship that you have around money first before you even start doing actionable items. So she wrote, if you believe that you'll never have enough, it'll always be hard to get, or you'll just have enough to get by, then that's what's going to happen. So if that's what you believe, it's going to continue to happen. And that's a normal thought process for people who didn't grow up with money, because literally that's all you've seen growing up. So very relatable, Casey, (laughs) because that's all you've ever seen growing up. That's your norm. And it's hard to break that pattern of thinking But there's so many ways to make money and grow money once you heal that relationship and start to see those opportunities. Another thing that I like that she put around mindset was the mindset that not only you have with yourself and your relationship with money, but how you view other people with money. So she said to try and be happy when you see people with money instead of being jealous. So instead of being jealous, you could say, oh, that's great for them and that's amazing and actually mean it and believe it instead of having the mindset where you say you wish you had that. You're going to get back what energy you give out and it really is just flipping the way you talk to yourself about money and catching yourself in those thoughts to help you break that pattern. So next we have some actionable items. 
So for me, I remember when I first got out of high school and I was in my freshman year of college, I was just like, okay, I need to build a budget. I need to build a budget. And that was kind of my starting point with, I would say, finances. And more recently, I've seen foundational knowledge is not necessarily building a budget, but knowing your spending limit. So basically, and this this also helps with the next step that I have, you should know what your expenses are going to be every month, like your solid expenses that are going to happen no matter what every month. So if you have rent, if you have a car payment, if you have an electricity bill, if you have automatic payments that are coming out, like you need to have your baseline of what you need to live by. And so say that's, I don't know, $2,000 a month, then you need to have an emergency fund based off of your necessary spending limit. And that's like, that is all excluding like your shopping sprees or whatever, which also probably shouldn't be happening, but I don't know. We're still on phase one of financial fitness right now. So so basically, if your spending limit is $2,000 a month, and that's like what you need to get by every single month, then you need to have an emergency fund that is at least three months of that. So you would want $6,000 saved up just for an emergency fund for you not to touch. Because I've always heard when I'm watching videos or reading about financial fitness, it's not if something happens, it's when something happens. So you should be prepared for, you know, if you lose your job or if something happens where for whatever reason you have to use your uh, income, that monthly income on something else that you need to be able to pull from that emergency fund to make sure you can still pay your rent or pay your car payment or whatever. So that should only be used for emergency funds. Uh, Six month savings is ideal for that emergency fund, but I've heard to start with three months as your goal and then build up from there to get to six months. Um, because I mean, you never know, like, especially like, like COVID, for example, like that happened and people were getting laid off and people didn't have jobs for like months, um, including me and Casey. Uh, so it's very important to have an emergency fund. And I think for me, that was like something hard to do because I never knew savings. I always knew I need to make it paycheck to paycheck and I don't have anything else to put in savings. So a lot of the videos that I've been watching is like anything you can put into your savings, you should put into your savings and like don't touch it at all. So whether that be $20 or whether that be $100 or whatever, that should be going into your savings. Next about savings, I have that I recently learned that I still have little knowledge about is to open a high-yield savings account. So generally, when you have a savings account, the interest that you're getting on that is a really, really small percentage. Versus a high-yield savings account, you're going to have... Maybe I'm using the word interest wrong. It's a percentage of something. I should probably look into that, actually. Like I said, I don't know shit about finance yet. So we're at starting point one. We're in phase one. But basically... You should know you need to open a high-yield savings account because your return is going to be greater than if you have it in a regular savings account. So basically, if you have all your money in a regular savings account, you're going to be essentially losing money than if you have it in a high-yield savings account where you could be building your money. The next thing I have is about credit cards. So 
in my history, I've always known that having credit cards is like a really bad and scary thing. I remember the first time I learned about credit cards was when I was with someone and we were at a store in the mall. I want to say it was like Forever 21. And I remember at checkout, you know, they always ask if you want to sign up for like those credit cards. And so you could sign up for like a Forever 21 credit card or like a Victoria's Secret credit card or whatever. And I remember the person I was with turning to me and saying, like, don't ever fucking sign up for those. They're literally the worst. And I was like, oh, okay. That was the starting point where I was like, oh, credit cards are bad. Like, you should not have credit cards. And then when I went further down the line, and it wasn't until recently that I got credit cards, that it was like, it it depends on what type of credit card you're getting. Because... Yeah, I don't know how else to explain that, geez. So, geez, this is where Casey would step in because right now my brain is literally like on 0% and this is where she would fill in and be like, oh, you mean this? And I'd be like, yes, you understand me. So anyway, (laughs) from that point, I had always known that credit cards were bad. So I thought basically in general they were bad and not necessarily... What the person who told me was trying to get across was that don't ever sign up for credit cards at these, like, shopping places, at these shopping centers. Like, so don't get a credit card at Forever 21 when you could get, like, a credit card through Chase or Capital One or whatever, Um, which I literally don't know. Like, you can do your own research on which credit cards are best for you. And we could probably do that on the podcast, too, because I don't know a lot of stuff about credit cards yet. But the one thing I do know about credit cards is when I got a credit card, I tried to do a lot of research on how best to build your credit with them. And that was really one of the main reasons I got a credit card and also so I could live uh, because, like I said, we're living paycheck to paycheck over here. So basically, when I was doing my research on credit cards, in order to use them to build your score... I was seeing a pattern where people would give these same steps. You would pay off your credit card by your statement date and not your due date. And you would, you, sorry, you wouldn't pay it off. Jeez. Sorry to So basically you would pay to where you still owe 1% to 3% by the statement date and not the due date. So you need to look at your statement date and you can find these literally on your credit card statements. And that's basically when they're pulling how much you have spent and you're pulling, they're pulling all of that. And you need to still have one to 3% to show that you're using it. But then by the due date, you fully pay it off. So that way you don't gain any interest and have to pay the interest. So that is what is supposed to help build your credit, essentially. Okay, so for example, if you have a credit card that has a $500 credit limit and say you've spent $300, you would want to pay down that credit card between $50 to $150 of the balance still. So that way, that is 1% to 3% of your credit card. And I, I think basically all of this depends on like your interest and like the APR and stuff, which I also don't know exactly what all of that means either. I know what interest is, but vaguely, but I don't know what like the APR and stuff is. So I am learning from this episode that I still really have a lot of research and work to do to learn. But you would want to pay that 
down to $50 to $100, which would be 1% to 3%, by the statement date. And then by the due date, you would want to pay that all the way down to zero. So that way you don't have to pay any interest rates. And then by time the next month comes along, you would want to also have your balance paid back down to $50 to $150. In general, I've always heard to use your credit card for like everyday expenses. Like you don't really want to use your debit card because the way that you get all of these like cash back and rewards and all of this stuff through credit cards really pays off in the end and it helps build your credit. So you want to use those for like gas and groceries and stuff like that. And other people might have different ways that they're using their credit cards. I have no fucking clue, but that's how I always heard it. And I always heard to not put money on your credit card that you can't pay off, which obviously I'm not listening to right now because I was kind of just like living off my credit cards for a while and now I'm to the point where I'm like good without them and I'm like trying to pay them down now uh, to zero which is a task and so that is my challenge right now is paying off larger amounts and it's really difficult and I'm trying to like do more research on how to strategically pay these off while still being able to save money and also still being able to like live you know. So I don't know if any of that made sense. I hope it did. Basically, that's what I know about credit cards. And that's kind of my, that's like all of my foundational knowledge so far on finances. A while back, I was like really interested in doing stocks and stuff and investing. I was like, oh, I'm going to start investing. And I had like money saved up and stuff. And I was really ready to kind of do something with that because I had just been hearing so much about you need to invest your money, you need to like grow your money, you need to do this. And I didn't know how to do that. And I still don't really know how to do that. And I think that's like another reason we're really trying to get into our finances is so we could learn more about our money and growing money and all of that stuff. Casey had a few of her own actionable resources and points that she also sent me to talk about. One of the first things she put was, you have to care. It kind of sucks to learn about finances, but it's literally like money that you're making. Like, this is your money and you need to take advantage of that. I put that in there. Casey didn't say that, actually. But it's your money, so you need to try and find someone like online or in person or whatever, find someone who says things in a fun way that engages you and you can understand them best. And that could be a different person for everyone because everyone learns differently. You're never going to get out of a situation by just hoping. You have to take some kind of action, even if it's small. So yeah, I think she makes a great point here. Like, Just hoping that you're not going to be living paycheck to paycheck isn't going to get you anywhere. Just hoping that you're going to grow your money is not going to get you anywhere, especially if you have little knowledge about it. She also sent over some podcast episodes that talk about money that she really enjoys. And I haven't heard any of these, but I'm adding them to my list. The first one is from the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. And the title is How to Achieve Financial Freedom, Invest, Save Money, and Understand Finances with Michael Bostick. I think I said that right. Um, And it's episode number 343. And then the next one that she has is also by the Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast. 
It's episode 153, and it's titled How to Make Money and Keep Your Money, How to Save, How to Invest, and How to Create a Plan for Financial Freedom. And then the last one she sent over was Eight Ways We Waste Money and Eight Ways to Manage It Better on Jay Sachetti's podcast, On Purpose. So those are three ones, and we'll post those the day of so y'all can listen to them. And then the last thing that we have for y'all is that we're going to be reading a book, and it's a finance book. It's titled Rich Bitch by Nicole Lappin. Also, she has her own podcast called Money Rehab. When I looked on there, she hasn't posted since September, but she has like 400 episodes. So I plan on listening to that. But we'll be going over her book in January. So if you want to read along and join us in that episode, we're going to be discussing the things we learned from her book and what we've gained so far in our financial fitness journey. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading more about finances, especially from a woman's point of view. We're going to continue doing different financial episodes too, and we'll post the book and everything. And we just really want to be more engaged with our finances. And we would love to help anybody else along the way who feels like they're also in kind of the same phase as we are. So if y'all have any similar situations or any advice or any questions that y'all would like us to answer or do more research on and then talk about, please email us at reasonablydramatic at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media at reasonablydramatic on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, and we can answer your DMs there as well. I think that's all I have for y'all this week. I feel like it was kind of a short episode because... You know, pure chaos, me by myself, trying to sift through all my thoughts. (laughs) But next week, Casey will be back and hopefully better. We'll be discussing a health and wellness portion of our podcast. And at the end of this month, we'll also be releasing our Am I Being Dramatic segment. So if you haven't, send us your Am I Being Dramatic stories and we'll tell you if you're being reasonably dramatic or over-the-top dramatic or if you're not being dramatic enough. So email those stories to us at reasonablydramatic at gmail.com or visit our Instagram where we have our link posted and you can send those in anonymously. And that's all I have for y'all this week, guys. See y'all next week. Bye! Yes.